the same thing here. Sorry to keep you slow. Are you good on time? I don't want to be. Yeah, like today um, is the day where I don't really have anything. Like any kind of interview or podcasting things I do, like this is the day I do them. So right. I'm, nice. I'm good for another couple hours if you need me that long. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, all right, welcome to another episode of Heavy Board Presents Jerk Shop. I am Andrew Wittstadt, and my guest today returning to the podcast is Matt Wall, poet, musician, renaissance man extraordinaire. Matt Wall, welcome back. Thank you for coming. Well, I haven't come yet, but this is the jerk shop, so let's see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be jerking each other a lot. This listeners. We'll be jerking. There will be a lot of rubbing, tugging, and... Cool. Uh, well, I'm, I'm full of saliva, so we got the, we got the loop part now. We can do this. Sucking and fucking. Heavy. Bored. Heavy. I am heavy, heavy, heavy. Bored. But listeners that don't know, this is a segment we do on Heavy Board where we talk about uh, all things writing workshop, uh, workshop culture, MFA culture, all those things that we talk about as writers. And, you know, it's always negative. We always like to get negative, and that's fun. But I always try to keep it a little positive, too. So we're going to be going into all kinds of things here. And if you like what you hear, please, you know, subscribe. Uh, and if you have a story you want to share oh, with us, shit. you're, <laughs> you're I'm, like, I'm like ready to go right now, dude. You fucking you set that up, dude. I'm just like fucking foaming right now, dude. Oh. <laughs> and if All you right. have yeah. a uh, a workshop story you want to share with us, something that happened to you in a workshop or a friend of yours, send that in heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com. We'll read it on the air. Anonymous, of course. We don't want to blow up anybody's spot, but we want to get into that. And Matt's gonna get into it here get into it with us here now. So uh I wanted to start this off, Matt, with just give listeners a little bit of your background with writing workshops, like your experience with them and uh, all that. Um, I have never workshopped because there's two different things here. There's like going to a writing workshop to pick up some tips and do some writing there. And then there's like workshopping your manuscript or workshopping your poems. I've never done the other because like I write too quick and put stuff out too fast to ever like go, Oh, you know what I need? This manuscript needs like 10 people to tell me what's wrong with it. Like, that's definitely the thing that I fucking need for this thing to succeed. Uh. Like I've never had the time or patience to do that. But what I have done is the majority of the people who I've taught or do mentorship for who are like, cause like I do mentorship for a lot of people who don't want to be known that they're coming to see me. Like I'm like <laughs> someone's dirty fucking secret and shit. But for the majority of those people, my whole job is basically uncollaging people like taking like the years that they've spent at university and breaking them of all of these horrific habits and things that they were fucking taught in fucking workshops. And so that's kind of like, I have like, I'm probably the most negative fucking person that you could talk to about workshopping something. So like, I I don't know, like, I don't even know where you want to start with this, but like, it's like a fucking like workshopping a story or a poem is a fucking camel. You know, it's a fucking horse built by committee, you know, and like I've never been a fan of that and just the idea of it. But um, and did yeah. you take any like, you know, just like high school, like kind of workshop stuff or like any type of like college, like you community college, like workshops or anything? Um, yes. Um, in college, like I attended some things like that. And then after I decided I was going to be a writer, um, I took different workshops from 
people who have succeeded doing certain things. Cause that's another thing. Like don't take a fucking workshop from somebody who can't fucking do the thing that they're telling you to do. Like if someone is not successful doing their fucking thing, don't listen to anything they have to say because <laughs> whatever the fuck they're going to tell you is just something they heard from somebody who was successful, you know? So like, that's my two bits on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 It's, uh, I would say workshops are contentious, right? Like workshops are, there's, there's, there's lovers and haters. I mean, with everything now there is that, mm -hmm. but like with workshops, especially there's like people that swear by them, right? Like don't yeah. know what to do in terms of editing unless they go through one. And then there's, yeah. pe there's people that are like, yeah, completely reject it or, or you had a couple bad experiences and that was all you needed to, to be like, Hey, you know, I don't think if this is worth it. Uh, and there's something to that, I think. I think there's something to, uh, like you said, kind of saying fuck this and doing the work on your own. But uh, what I always like to ask listeners is the first first episode of this I ever did is because I had a few listeners write in and they were talking about uh, what they called workshop culture. Workshop uh -huh. culture. And I'm always just like, what, what do you think of when you hear that workshop culture? I think when I hear that is a bunch of people who feel like Someone's going to share something, and then if they don't come up with something that is groundbreaking that they need to change, people in the group won't think that they're smart. So even if the story you're sharing doesn't need any fucking changes at all, there's going to be people there whose whole purpose in being there is to try to t convince you that you do need to change something so their clout in the fucking room goes up. This is why if you're going to workshop anything, do it with some friends of yours that are also writers that like, you know, and respect and you guys could like shoot the shit about, but going into like these cold fucking workshop groups or like, I know people who've been in MFA programs and the people in the workshop group or the other people in the MFA program, and you can't fucking get away from that. Whatever. That's your fucking plight in life. Deal with it. But like just the idea that there are people who, and like, this is the other thing that drives me crazy and I'm probably jumping all over the place. But then when I hear people say stuff like, <clears throat> well, somebody's, input was good and somebody's input wasn't so i'll take the good input over than the other input when you are starting to subjectively guess what input is better than the other like what makes anyone's input any different if the whole purpose is the workshop itself and workshopping the thing the whole idea is that I don't know, just the, the idea that someone can have a bad idea and someone can have a good idea. Like, who's the arbiter of that? And I know it's the writer, but the whole idea is getting other people's opinions. So it, it becomes a contradictory practice, like the second motherfuckers start talking. I don't know. I just like, like, you have to understand, I have worked with so many fucking people who have told me every fucking horror story under the fucking sun and feel like they can't do anything unless people critique the fuck out of their shit. Oh, well, this isn't ready because I haven't gotten enough notes on it yet. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Just it like, are you do you feel good about it? Are you done with it? Like when you finish writing, do you lean back? Like what wh like what do you do? You know, it's it's like, fuck, man. But yeah, so. Well, you raise a good point. I think the point that I would latch on to like, right away, I mean, you made a couple of great ones there, um, was about... Um, is it about the person whose no, whole job is to talk shit? Yeah, well, it's about when you... Like, the structure of it, when you... when you the, the purpose of it is to go into the room and then have people critique it, right? Like, it's not to have people praise it, right? Like, the structure yeah. of a workshop is to have people point out flaws and i know this is i always say you know we're going to get to mfas i have a couple of questions on your thoughts on them and all that and uh but when you do go to like an mfa level which is you know grad level workshop this isn't you know this is everybody in the rooms you'd like to think they're taking it seriously but there a lot of people and i did this too my first time is like you expect when you put that thing in there 
and you're like, oh, this is going to be so great. Like I'm going to, they're going to, they're not going to find anything to say about this. You know, like I put that in the workshop and then like, give me you one get second. There. I'm sorry. Yeah, dude. No worries. Sorry, 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 sorry. Oh shit. Let's see. What do I got to fucking do now? <sighs> yeah, I'll just do this. Okay. Dude, I'm sorry. I just got all fucking. I got all fucking mad. <laughs> what? I just. I was. I got all fucking ragey thinking about all this shit, and so now I'm like, okay, I'm either gonna fucking start getting drunk right now, or I'm gonna fucking <laughs> go take a shit. Like I'm fucking mad. Like I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's already starting. The jerking is happening. Uh, <sighs> <sighs> but it is like there is this. It's it's designed to find flaws so you're not going yeah. to get praised in a workshop if you're getting praised in a workshop right like it's like i mean i I had friends that you know usually they were the more experienced writers than in the mfa at least when you're like kind of like at the end of it you've been doing it for a couple years and you're about to graduate and then the new people come in and then they tend to like praise like the older wiser person and then i had friends that would be like kind of like come on dude stop sucking my dick you know like come yeah on. like there's got to be something in here that isn't quite working for you like you couldn't mm -hmm. find anything you know uh and then you made another good point where i think it is based around an individual person's effort sitting in that table with you and then it's based on their kind of understanding too so are they going to make the effort to try and understand what you're doing or are they just going to wish that it was theirs you know like wish that you were yeah. doing what they were always doing so there's that too. Like it is, and if they don't like you, or they feel like they're in competition with you, whether or not your fucking thing's good or not, they're gonna tear that fucking apart. Yeah, and that's like, a very just, important part. Yeah, it's it's fucking it's like, it's just like throwing you into the fucking like coliseum with the fucking lions, dude. It's like, oh, you you want a degree now, huh? Okay, here we go. I'm going to drop you in here and you guys fight it out. Like, but, but do it nice, you know, like, oh, fuck. Well, me, there's, dude. I, you brought I'd feel that up. so much That's better a... if a motherfucker came at me with a knife than fucking <laughs> tried to fucking tell me what to do with my fucking work, dude. Fuck me. There's a, there is that aspect too that you read, like the social aspect, because it's not just. Oh, especially in an MFA program, it's not just, oh, we're going into a room to workshop. There's a whole social circle outside of that and orbiting around that, especially in a program where you have all these people together, you know, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. friends, there's enemies, there's, there's people that just don't, are don't, the majority of the social circle doesn't like, and they will dig into you because of that type thing, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So there's more at play than just everybody being good faith, going into a room, trying to help each other. Like it is more than that. You know, like there's mm -hmm. something else going on too. And I guess it, tr try to not make it terribly negative. Some writers, if you're listening out there, like just be aware, you know, be aware of that where like, yeah, some people are going to purposely be mean as shit. You know, some people are going to purposely, if they don't like you socially, dig into this, even if there isn't like a major or a reasonable flaw in it or something like that. Yeah. You know? Cause like every workshop is going to have that one fucking dude and it's usually a dude. And I guess sometimes it could be a chick, but like every time anyone's ever fucking told me about this, there's always one fucking guy who like feels like it's his life's goal to completely shit on everyone's fucking work. And it's like, <laughs> And Andrew's like, quit talking about me. That's <laughs> say I was that guy. Yeah, I was that guy. It wasn't, yeah, and it wasn't like I was setting out to, to purposely shit. Like, I wasn't trying to be mean to people. Uh, it was always just like, I was like, you didn't see this? Like, <laughs> you didn't notice this one, huh? Like, kind of. But yeah, that can be, it depends how you do that too. So yeah. I like to think that I phrased it and worded it in a way that was constructive, you know, cause I didn't have anybody, I mean, maybe I did, but nobody that would come to me and be like, Oh, I hate him. You know, I hate your critiques. It was always kind of like, thank you. But, uh, I think it depends how you word that too. You can word that and like talk about mm -hmm. it in a room where you're really kind of just mean spirited about it instead of a happy kind of constructive spirit around it. Like, no, yeah. I'm trying to help. Like, 
So that matters too. And then you talk about ego, you talk about like enemies, oh right? You already mentioned yeah. that there are people, you know, I've heard stories. There's always that one, especially in an MFA, there's like that one person that you were saying that thinks they're better than everyone, that they're better than the instructor, that they're better than everybody. You know, they have no, done nothing. They've published nothing, but they still are convinced that they're, you know, God's gift to writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that can get annoying pretty fucking fast too. With uh, I've had a couple people who have actually been in the anarchy crew who like, even though no one ever asked for any fucking critiques or anything, they are from that mindset. They're from that background and they felt like it was their job to like shit on everyone's work, including mine. And I'm like, (laughs) look, dude, like that's cool if that's what you want to do, but that's not what this is. And I will gladly keep taking your fucking money you know, if you want to be here, but you need to shut the fuck up. No one's asking for your fucking opinion, dude. Like, I'm just working on your writing. Like, you you do the writing, and I will fucking cash your fucking checks. But, like, this is not a thing for you to prove to everyone that you are the smartest poet in the room. Nobody gives a shit. You know? Uh, that was just me bitching, so never mind. Well, yeah. it is like... When the people that come out of that world, and I'm like I said, I want to get to MFAs here. It's the next question, actually, but maybe I'll just go into it now. It's like when you come out of that world, I always tell people this, and a lot of people roll their eyes when I say this, or a lot of people laugh. I've had people laugh in my face when we're talking about it, where, and you know, not offensive or anything, we, you know, we're just drinks talking or whatever, but where it's just if you control the workshop in an MFA setting, but you control the program, like you are top dog yeah. kind of thing. So there is something you get out of that, you know, like there is, it's oh, not yeah. entirely without incentive to, to be that person in a workshop. So that is, and I guess if we're offering advice, how do you deal with that? Sometimes you just got to grit your teeth and just not listen to that person. You know, I'm and not, if you're, you know, going into your workshop, like paying for somebody like Matt to give you uh, uh help you do stuff, but or put your book together or whatever. But if you're just, you know, in a regular workshop, undergrad, yeah. community workshop, graduate school, whatever it is, you know, there's always going to be people in there like that. So you, you know, you got to kind of grit your teeth sometimes and then just kind of let it roll off the back or, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, MFAs and you talk about this a lot on your podcast and you talk about this a lot with, yeah, your anarchy crew stuff. Uh, I just want your thoughts, uh, positives, negatives, um, I was a lot more negative on MFAs before I started talking to Matthew Buck- Matthew Matthew Buckley Smith about MFAs, and he—I don't want to speak for him, but he has his own issues with MFA programs, you know. But um, I see more of the like positives with it now. Um, the problem I have with a lot of the people who I've worked with is that they had a voice when they were writing and then they realized that they weren't getting the grades that they wanted to get. So then they started writing like their professor writes and then suddenly their professor loves their stuff and their professor gives them the grades that they want. And then that's how they're like, Oh, well this, I guess is how I have to write now because this is what got me good grades or whatever. And then, um, they get out of the program and then they don't know what the fuck to do with themselves because whatever, voice they had has kind of vanished and they've been writing to an audience of one for the last however long their fucking program was and now that they're out they don't know what the fuck to do and they can't find that voice that they had and that's why i get so like passionate and pissed off about this because i've done this so many times where i had to fucking like declutter someone's fucking brain and like take them back to square one and then start them up again to get them to find who the fuck they are because of that shit, you know? So it's like, um, I know not every MFA program is like that, but 
I know that there are from what I've been around and talked to enough professors who do this kind of shit that make it a fucking problem. So with that said, I have an issue with it, but the doors that it opens for you is more than you will get if you don't have that MFA. Right. You know, so like you have to weigh that out and you have to just know yourself and trust your fucking instincts, trust your writing when you're in that. Once you hit the MFA program, you should already be who you are going to be as a writer. And then the MFA program just like takes you up to that next level. Right. But for a lot of people, whoever the fuck they were is gone because they're trying to appease that one fucking person. I know exactly what you're crazy. saying. I know exactly what you're saying there. I've seen it happen <clears throat> where I've seen it. And this goes into what we said earlier, listeners, where there's like that social circle matters. So if somebody doesn't mm -hmm. like you in the workshop and, you know, if you're trying to do something and they'll harp on you just because they don't like you socially. So they'll find every little thing wrong with it. Right. And they'll, they'll even go, I think, bad faith in that direction where they'll take it too far where they're yeah. like, yeah, you know, this isn't your style, but you're going away from craft now and you're going to the personal style. So you have to kind of keep that in mind to be a good reader in a workshop, which of course we talked about already as being one of the major flaws. Not everybody's a good fucking reader in a workshop. <laughs> uh, but uh, I've seen it happen. I've seen friends, even instructors that will harp on students, especially if it's kind of a socially awkward student, or, you know, borderline autistic or some bullshit, you know, like kind yeah. of a, an awkward, socially awkward person that doesn't quite fit in with the group. And then, you know, they will harp to the point where you, it will be trained out of you, the kind of originality or the cool thing, the cool thing you were trying to go for that wasn't quite working, but, you know, maybe with a little bit more practice, a little bit more work, you'd achieve it. Then you get kind of like psyched out of it almost. You know, you get kind of beaten out of yeah. it with, with a workshop. So I, I understand that too. I think that's very true. And I've seen it happen. And I bet they, and I bet after that, they come to you. <laughs> they come to you, one of your, uh, one of your workshops or one of your, uh, and just be like, oh man, like I, I was just always getting harped on for this. I didn't think I should pursue it anymore, you know? And so like they got well, the kind thing, of scared out of I think the thing it. is, the thing is, is that usually somebody gets out of the MFA program, they graduate or whatever, excuse me, and they do what they think they're supposed to do next. Oh, I put my book together and I submit it for book prizes and I sit around and I fucking wait. And I do this thing. I might submit some poems to some big magazines and let them know who my professor was at this fucking thing and all this other shit and see what kind of fucking stuff I could get. And they do all this shit and then nothing fucking happens. And then there's this existential crisis. Like, what was all this for? Why did I do this? What the fuck is my life? What am I going to do? Am I going to fucking be a Walmart greeter the rest of my life now with my fucking degree? And then they fucking stumble upon some schmuck like me who hasn't done any of this shit, but I'm fucking living as a fucking writer. Right. And they're like, how the fuck did that happen? And then it that's how this whole fucking thing happens. But it's it's usually not until somebody has spent eight or ten years trying to do this thing that they were told this is how it goes before they're like oh shit there might be a second way of doing this that i know nothing about and there and is like a level there is like a level of marketing from like on the mfa side where they do market that to you when you're when you're applying where they market that this is a path toward publication or having a career you know and like you said some schools if you go to basically the top five programs in the country mm -hmm. you do get that that is kind of true right you could get a path to a to a career you know agents are, are literally emailing the students that are about to graduate just because they're looking for new clients at some of those schools and stuff right so you could yeah. get that out of it but yeah it's uh it's but not just so like easy with any yeah with any other path, like you have to understand, and this is the problem I have, not just with MFAs, but with the university system in general, the university system is producing more people in each field than there are actually jobs available in those fields. And so you're putting these people in hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of debt to have this dream of something that might not ever happen because there isn't even a fucking opening for that like let alone the arts i'm just talking about like fucking the medical fucking field for fuck's sake right okay like 
there's always going to be a need for nurses and orderlies, but guess what? There might not be a huge need for fucking cardiologists. So right. fucking rethink your fucking major, or go to a fucking trade school if you want to fucking actually work and make money. Okay. But back to fucking art. It's like you, you talk about this path. Yeah, there is a path to get here, but that path is fucking narrow. That path is a hard fucking path. And there are a ton of fuckers racing up that path. And if you do not want to race, if you do not want to compete, which is something that I don't know if the MFA program actually teaches you, you are going to fucking die. You will not make it because there's other motherfuckers out there who have any kind of fucking like <clears throat> sociopathic tendencies. They will they will beat you. OK, they will get there first. It's just how it fucking is, dude. Like, if anyone wants to be successful, like, you really should be a sociopath. Like, that is the best way to be successful. The second best way is just hustling and trying and going out and doing the fucking thing. But a lot of people, after they come out of the MFA program, they don't have that fight in them. Because, again, you've been trying to suck the dick of one person. And so now that that dick's not there to suck, you don't know what the fuck to do. So I'm like, dude, I'm getting fucking mad. I'm so sorry, <laughs> dude. I'm like going on these fucking tirades over here, dude. Hey, that's content, bro. Oh. That's 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 good podcasting. No, but like, uh, I think you're right with this. Um, if you're hearing this, it's because you are listening to the free public feed of Heavy Board to get complete, uncensored, uninterrupted, full access to this podcast. Become a subscriber at patreon.com slash heavyboard. That's right. Heavy Board is made possible by subscribers like you. For less than one cup of coffee per month, you will receive private access to uncensored, full-length episodes, jerk shop, heavy bonus content, subscribers-only AMA episodes, bonus extended interviews, and more. Come join the conversation today at patreon.com slash heavy board. The path is narrow and it's getting narrower. Like it's, 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 it's slowly shrinking to a balance beam where like it used to yeah. be a nice big well-worn trail and the last 20 years, especially right. Like you're seeing this, not just in the arts either. You're seeing this in all the humanities. There's an article just a few weeks ago about Harvard PhDs in history and they're not getting jobs. So if Harvard yeah. PhD grads are not getting tenure track jobs after they graduate from Harvard PhD in like history, that's a big deal. Cause that's like, yeah. <laughs> that's like a big boost to your resume and it's not working anymore. Totally. And now you go to the arts, it's even worse in the arts. So, and I think that's a lot of the instructors in the MFA too, a lot of them have done it for so long, they don't even understand like what the industry is now because they're kind of grandfathered in to yeah. to the old world where yeah you just go get an mfa and you know you make a few connections and you get your book out and the, you know you get a teaching job well that's just not how it works anymore like there like you yeah. said there's no jobs there's really no jobs in a lot of the humanities fields period but especially the creative writing fields i mean and then you think like the last generation they were like the gen x was the last one where like yeah you go you get your graduate degree and like the mfa world was expanding rapidly like at that time yeah. like in the 90s mm -hmm. early 2000s yeah. yeah so all these jobs were just popping up all over the country and you could just get a job because they needed people but when you get these and, fucking people in these jobs that are going to stay there for 40 right. fucking years there's still motherfuckers graduating but motherfuckers aren't going to fucking leave that job for another 30 fucking years so there's not like more jobs are opening, right? Like motherfuckers need to die. Like there needs to be someone who goes on a killing spree <laughs> and like kills a bunch of fucking MFA fucking tenure professors. If you guys want any fucking teaching fucking job. But on top of that, it's also the amount of places to publish is so small compared to how it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Right. The amount of actual presses that are consolidating into other presses make it that much harder for you to fucking get your work out on a traditional route because there's less places to fucking publish. And when there's less places to publish, they don't have to pay you as much because there's less competition. So like anyone who's excited about like the like we were talking about the, the other day the simon schuster penguin random house thing 
anyone who's excited about that, you guys need to go out behind the barn. Because <clears throat> that is just that is going to hurt writers more than anything. Like you don't need to pay as much if you're not competing to pay somebody. You pay them less and less and less. And pretty soon, like people working a minimum wage job will make more than the most successful writers. You That's know, where like we are now. Fucking, yeah. Yeah. The cashier at Carl's Jr. is making more money than a fucking a best selling poet. Yeah. Congratulations. You're a fucking douchebag. Like, welcome to fucking hell. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. That's where I am now. I mean, I'm I'm adjuncting, so it's like you know, this is the thing everybody talks about. And I know a lot of people listening probably think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. Like there are no jobs and especially not full time jobs. And even if you want to move to the middle of nowhere and teach in some, you know, college in Indiana and in some city you've never heard of, even those jobs mm -hmm. don't exist anymore. So like, yeah. uh, you know, it's just narrow, narrow, more and more narrow every fucking year. And we're still graduating over 3000 MFA students a year. So there's 3000 fresh, you know, MFA graduates every year, Are, and like five jobs. Know, oh, dude, that's fucking horrendous. Do you know the um, numbers on or the stats on college enrollments? Are those going down? Are they going uh, up? What's from, going on? I haven't looked in like a year or two since COVID, but uh, I know right before COVID, it was starting to become clear that the enrollment rates peaked uh, just nationally, you know, on, on average, let's say, uh, around 2016, 2017. And then it's kind of started to decline. And then the pandemic gave a huge windfall to the decline, obviously, because yeah. you couldn't do in-person classes for a while. Uh, yeah. But... I think it's decline. It did peak. And like you said, I think there's a lot of people that are waking up to, you know, everybody needs to go to college isn't actually true. You know, college mm -hmm. is for people that want to pursue a certain thing in a certain way. And then if you want to do something else, you don't necessarily have to do that, you know. And I just like, I think when people see the amount of debt people are in and that's another thing like Buck yeah. said, like Buckley said, he's like, if you have to pay for your MM MFA, don't do it. If it's a free MFA, take it, do it, run it. But if you have to pay for it, don't fucking do it. You right. know? So, like, like that sounds like a better fucking plan to me. But, like, the idea of, I think, this generation of young folk are understanding how every generation before, since, like, the early 80s, have been fucking themselves with student loan debt. And how hard it is to fucking, like, pull your head out of your ass from that, you know? Yeah, I always I always wonder, too, because I, yeah, that's the advice everybody gives where they say, don't go into debt to get it. And I get, they say that because you're not going to get a job to actually pay back that debt. But then if you're going to, like, an Iowa, even a Columbia does start to make a little bit more sense to to take out a little debt only because that's where we started talking earlier the yeah. networking you get to start sure. network you mingle with people that are going to be on these mm -hmm. committees these prize committees and they know your name and face and they've sat with you in the rooms and stuff and and if you're that, really lucky that can you can be... start having sex with them and then they'll just start letting you win awards left and right right short jory graham uh, <laughs> is that what you're is that what you're referring to or are you referring to like the me too uh a debacle, <laughs> no, which I guess just, technically the same thing. Dory Graham yeah, was same, basically same fucking thing, dude. she was just a woman, so oh. she didn't get me too. But she was doing the same shit. Yeah. No, the, everyone's me too on that was like me too, me too. <laughs> yeah. Shit, me. dude. And I even Dory Graham now that like, you see pictures of her, shit, I wouldn't have said no. <laughs> if she was trying to come after me, and or I would have been like, yeah, baby, whatever you want. She's like sixty now. I'd still say. Yeah, yeah. Oh fuck, dude, that's hysterical. But yeah, yeah. that's so. an aspect too. Like that, I mean, that's I guess that's just social stuff too. Like this, like the sexual dynamics. You start fucking people in workshops. <laughs> you have this many people coming together. They're spending all this time together. You know, it's inevitable, right? Like that's gonna yeah. happen. There's gonna be hookups. There's gonna be all that kind of stuff. A lot of marriages. I, I met mean, at my MFA. A lot of people met their spouse. You know, and then got married. You know, after. Yeah. Uh, because you're like-minded, it brings you together. You have similar interests, you know, if you're attractive to... Let me ask you a question, actually, now that you said this. Not the thing about the other thing, but something else. Like... Out of the people who were in your MFA program, how many of them are still writing poetry? 
Um, the, the people like in just my year that I know, or uh, yeah, like your cohort, like your that fucking. I people. know of. I think it's me and maybe one other person. It's like that with every fucking person yeah. I talk to, dude. That's so fucking weird. What do you think that's about? Uh, I think it's about. Well, it's complicated, but if I could give like an overview answer, it's like. It's because like what we were talking about where you where you're sold a bill of goods, you know, you're sold yeah. this kind of it's like you will be a writer at the end of this. And that's partly true. If you put in the work, you will be a better writer at the end just because it's forcing mm-hmm. you to write all the time. And, you know, you're actually getting critiqued in real time and stuff. So it does kind of force you to work a little harder, maybe. So you get that push to go a little harder in a direction or something. And that helps. But I think it's that. And I think it's also that just because it's an industry that's based around people that want to be writers or want to have a fantasy of being writers, it doesn't actually teach you what it takes. Like you were saying, where there's the hustle aspect, but not only hustling, you have to produce. This isn't like, oh, let me take five years to write one novel and just leisurely write it. You know, this is, you have to produce or you're dead. You're done in the water. It's it's not like it was like in the eighties. You know, right. or yeah. in the fucking 90s. Like, it's a completely different world now. And a lot of stuff that like you said, the, 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 the publishing options are smaller. So even if you're writing a novel, well, the publishers are less than they were 10 years ago. There's less options. And then if you're writing poetry, which doesn't sell anyway, publishers are even less, you know, than mm-hmm. that. So it is. And I think people do get burned out. It's also very demanding because if you're MFA, a lot of people forget it's not just writing courses. That's a big chunk of it. And a lot of schools Mm -hmm. emphasize that. Uh, But it's also you're taking lit classes. You're taking a lot of these, you know, PhDs with creative writing. They require language classes because they're lit PhDs. So now you have to take a language and be pretty much fluent in it if you want to graduate. You know, like, yeah, there's other work on top of that that just you know, just do normal grad school work that burns out a lot of people. Grad school can be difficult depending on what your subject is, where you're going and all that. But I think there's that burnout. And then I think it's also just, you know, Vonnegut wrote about this when he was teaching at Iowa and he was saying when he got into, walked into a room, he said he already knew by, you know, the first couple of weeks that there was maybe, you know, classroom full of 25 students of those 25, there was one or two that he could see right away that knew he's like, they have what it takes kind of thing, you know? Yeah. These people are just more talented than the others, whatever it is, more advanced, you know, whatever it is. He's like, and then you kind of see that play out two years later. We're like, Oh yeah, I knew that guy was going to actually make it or that girl was going to make yeah. it because I had them in here and I was like, yeah, you're one of the two that has what it takes. But even if yeah. you have what it takes, then there's all the other bullshit that we were talking about, you know, so then you can get beaten down by that. Even if you're good enough, you're talented enough, yeah. you can still like get talent eaten up. Means, yeah. Talent means absolutely nothing. Talent is the last thing you need to become a successful writer. Like you need perseverance. Like you need the iron will to succeed, like beyond anything else. And you need to know that like you will give up everything in your fucking life that means anything to you in order to fucking achieve that goal. Those are the people who make it. They don't have to be talented. In fact, like if you, if you were to go to a pitch meeting or if you were to go to an agent or something right now, like one thing that you would need to, like, I don't know if they actually ask for this, but I know they like it when you say it, you need to let them know how many people follow you on social media. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, and you need to have that number be fucking big and also know what your engagement is. Like you could have a million followers, but if you only have seven likes on the last fucking dumbass picture you posted, no one gives a shit. Right. You know, you have to have engagement. And the other thing is if you ever go into a pitch meeting, like this is where everyone fails, dude. Like they have this book they're working on or their manuscripts done. And it's this big thing. They're always going to ask you and what else you got? Like, what's next? Right. If you don't have, like, three other, like, bangers ready to fucking go, even if it's just in the idea phase, if you don't have, like, a future, 
they're not going to take the one book in hopes that it works. Right. They're going to take the one book in hopes that it works and that they build your name up so that second book you write could sell twice to three times as much. And then the next one sell 10 times as much. Right. So if you don't have another fucking book in you, then just put that book up on fucking Amazon and like eat a lollipop. Like, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. And I know if we're like, fiction... I'm not trying to be a dick right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like trying to be real. And I know with fiction writers, I've had friends even, I was on the poetry side of things, but I, you know, I write both a lot. A lot of writers like to write both and that's fine. It's like, but because the MFA emphasizes the short story as like the form, and I get yeah. there's reasons for that. I had a guest on here who was telling me, you know, she had her novel, my friend of mine, and she had her novel come out and she was saying, yeah, you know, there is this emphasis on short stories. And she was saying it might be because, you know, you're in a room for three hours once a week. So, you know, mm -hmm. we don't have time to go over a whole novel, you know, like we can just yeah. do a story at a time type thing. So that makes sense. Yeah. Like that's okay. It's not really structured to be like a novel workshop. It's more of a short form, short story workshop. But then when you get out into the world, if you've only been trained to do short stories, well, publishers don't give a fuck about short stories because they don't sell. They want a novel. They don't want a short story collection. You know, like, this is where I'm going to fucking start saying this is where the publishing industry is fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear the, this. Yeah. The biggest things that get attention right now, like are Twitter posts, fucking Instagram posts, maybe if you're lucky, a blog or a Substack thing, or a fucking newsletter. Right. If this is the content that the majority of people are taking in, the publishing industry needs to go, oh, we should be putting out standalone little books of short stories because this is the attention span right. of the majority of people in the fucking country. The fact that they don't do that because it fucks with their paper fucking quotas and all this other fucking shit that they have to do to sell pallets. Publishers sell pallets of paper to places that sell pallets of paper. They don't give a shit about the actual fucking content. I know right. some people say they do and there's editors that do right. whatever. The actual company wants to sell bricks of paper. Right. But the majority of Americans aren't reading bricks of paper. They're fucking reading Twitter posts. You need to be able to sell something to people in bite-sized chunks that change their fucking life. And then maybe in 30 fucking years, you could sell bricks of paper again. But since the magazines are dead, right, and everything else that does small content is dead, and the fucking people who take MFAs are learning fucking short stories, like lay into that like i don't know why there's so much fighting against like tradition and like what trends are happening like the publishing industry is fucking ridiculously stupid and stubborn like they are so hard to change yeah well, i thought i thought a lot about that with the industry with um publishing especially you know these since there is all that's left are these huge conglomerates these huge Fortune 500 companies, uh, or maybe not so much anymore. They're not even that big anymore. But it's like they're—you uh, would think they're—it's they're, hard to to change the direction in the water when your ship is that big. You know, one. Mm -hmm. So okay, I can give them. Like, try to be fair to them there. But like, so you can't just shift directions with the wind necessarily. It's going to take ten years for them to change direction because it's just such a fucking yeah. But huge every ship that big has thing. a ton of lifeboats on it. Drop the yeah. fucking lifeboats and let the lifeboats go where they fucking go while you're turning the fucking ship around. And the you other know, thing, like, it's like, uh, it's uh, they, they're trend chasers, right? Like they, they, yeah. the, the the old, at least you know, fifty years ago, even twenty years ago. I think the publishing industry viewed themselves as trendsetters where they would take a chance on something and just say, oh, maybe it'll be a new trend. You know, fuck it. Maybe we'll get people into this new kind of grungy shit mm -hmm. or this new kind of high minded, whatever it is. And now they're just chasers. Like you said, they're chasing posts. They're chasing stuff that isn't even published stuff. They're chasing like Twitter posts. They're chasing TikTok. Yeah stuff and they want to know that you can market the book better than they can right exactly like whatever yeah. they have to do the least amount of work doing and then i don't know if you've noticed this but if you pick up these books that are like the like 
New York Times bestselling books, you pick them up and they weigh like no, they, they're so fucking light, but they're a big book. And you open the book and the font in the, is so big and the line spacing is so wide. When you look at it, there really isn't even anything there. Like it's a TikTok make, post. Yeah. Dude, it's like yeah. you could take that same book and make like a little hundred page pocket book that you could sell on spinner racks at gas stations to just train the fucking population that reading might be fun. Like the, the fucking direct market killed comic books and it's killing fucking literature. Like you don't have newsstands anymore. Right. And that is like one of the biggest fucking like downfalls, like the, the Barnes and Noble superstore, like changed the world for a little bit and now it's just hurting it like it's so fucking stupid i used to see fucking paperbacks everywhere right like little paperbacks at the fucking drugstore at the fucking gas station like any fucking place you the liquor store they had right. a little fucking spinner rack of fucking little nasty books you know like you cannot go anywhere and find a book now unless you're in a fucking library and the only reason why you went in there is to get directions on how to get away from there yeah. <laughs> well there's i mean yeah like i, I talk uh, about this all the time the cultural relevance and i think that a lot of publishers they claim they don't have the resources for this but i'm like look man like you don't need a whole lot to do a social media marketing campaign you need like 10 grand you need like, none the fact that yeah. my fucking neighbor could do a fucking social media marketing yeah. campaign you live in a fucking giant fucking building full of fucking worker bees figure it out yeah jesus christ i'm not huge for people losing their jobs or nothing but you could fire 30 percent of your workforce and just fucking have one dude fucking clicking a button on a fucking computer that probably does the exact amount of work that all those other motherfuckers were doing so fucking stupid and i think this gets to something too where there's like the trends and like there's kind of this you know, you see publishers putting a lot of effort in right now with the kind of, you know, you saw the Ian Fleming stuff, the Roald Dahl stuff, the Agatha Christie, they're putting uh, a lot of effort to whitewash books. Yeah. These kind of older books, they're trying to censor them to, I don't, to save the world, I guess, is what they think they're doing. But it's like this, well, there's like they're not doing it. To, they're not doing it to save the world. Like the Roald Dahl thing, I understand why they did it <clears throat> in the sense that, like the kids just got or the estate got the rights to everything right. and they changed everything so they could sell it to Netflix. So Netflix could make a big series of all this other shit. And then that way, when the books come out, the books will match what the show has. I get that. Like, I don't agree with it, but I understand the marketing behind it. The Agatha Christie stuff and the fucking Ian Fleming, especially the fucking Ian Fleming stuff so fucking stupid oh yeah like i'm a big fucking believer and dude i read fucking lovecraft i read fucking horrific awful pulpy shit from the 20s and 30s where like fucking every racist and their mom was writing fucking books right okay writing stories and i am a very fucking progressive person and i think the reason why it is good to keep that shit is so we can see as a society how far we've come to not be like, oh, shit, we were like this just this many years ago. It's when you, like, eliminate all that shit. That's when people don't know that right. that shit's possible. And then the next Fuhrer shows up. Right. You know, like when when the, the everyone's guards down because everything is so like like you were saying, like whitewashed. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need to have these horrible fucking things done by people who we thought were good people so we can see as a society that we are not those people anymore and know what's coming next. Yeah, I have a, I have a guest coming over doing some Ian Fleming books for James Bond series, uh, <clears throat> and I want to get into that with... Uh... Yeah, it's. I mean, I think that's part of it too. The reason I brought it up was just like the publishing industry is seems afraid. Like they're afraid to be trendsetters. They're afraid to 
take a chance. And I get that they don't want to spend money on something that's going to lose them money. But I'm like, yo, you're barely spending money at all anyway on like new writers. So like, you know, 2,500 bucks or whatever. And, to, and, like... the, and the amount of money they make off of those right. backlist titles, they can fucking do whatever the fuck they want. Do you remember a couple years ago when um, I don't know if they did this just at Barnes and Noble, but they took all these classic stories and then put like diverse characters on the covers, but like didn't change <laughs> anything on the inside. So it was like. I don't know, like Frankenstein and fucking like there were all these stories and it would have like um, like a, a black Dracula on the cover of it. And then like and my biggest thing was I'm like, so you're like, are you trying to trick people who don't know any better? Like, you know, they're going to read the book, right? If they get the book because like they feel represented on the cover, they're going to read this and go, oh, I just got bamboozled. Like, I, I just didn't understand the whole fucking thing. And there was, like, all this outrage about it and all sorts of shit. Ugh, I, I know. Uh, it seems weird, too. I'd love to see the metrics on some of that. I'm sure they're never going to make those public. But, like, how much it... Like, oh, the, no. Because, you know, what, what, what is their motivation? Like, they're trying to sell books, right? Like, that's yeah. at least you would think. So they're just doing whatever to try and sell books. And then, like, I'd like to see if it actually increases the sales or something. Like, is, like, having this, like cover uh like gonna make people pick up well, the book you know like anyone it... anyone I, I don't know if it got what they thought it was gonna do but anyone who is any kind of like entrepreneur should have went out when those books came out and bought up all of them because they should have known that that the plug was gonna get pulled on that idea really fucking quick and then it, sit on those books for five years and then you could sell them on fucking eBay. Hey, this is the book that had um, the the Indian girl on the cover of Gone with the Wind. You know, like, <laughs> like, uh, like, just the, the lunacy. Like, like ten years from now, we're gonna look back at that and say, like, who the fuck in their right mind thought this was a fucking good idea? Right. I actually, I, I agree with that. I think that's what's going to happen for like the whole trend we're living through right now is like 10 years from now, people are like, yeah, that was pretty crazy, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> that was pretty fucking insane, wasn't it? Where we were just like putting like, like, like black people on like the cover of a book and being like, Would, buy it, buy it, right? And don't you want to buy it? Yeah, for real. And I mean, but I think you were saying this on some show. You said that there's two different things. There's the creative writing industry and the publishing industry. yeah. yeah. Like I've been listening to so much of your shit. I have no idea where I've heard you say that. So it's like, but this is the idea. Like that is a idea from the publishing industry. Right. Not, not fucking like the creative writing industry. You know and, what I'm saying? And my issue with it really is that it's part of that trend chasing too, right? Like they're not setting yeah. a trend. They're trying to chase like a TikTok thing or what Netflix was doing or something, you know, like they're mm -hmm. trying to chase these other things. And I'm just, it gets bound to that kind of, you know, everybody's acting like this is dead. Like everything's over. Like this is it. Like this is, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. We, do, we don't know how to sell these. I'm like, your whole fucking industry is to sell books and you can't like throw a few shit at the wall and see what sticks. Like what, what are you doing here? Like, well, well, I'll tell you what we're doing. We're waiting for Stephen King to get off his ass and finish his next book so right. we can fucking <laughs> make enough money to fucking keep this ship afloat. <laughs> Like all these other books, it's just it's just a fucking smokescreen. We're just here to sell Stephen King books. Yeah, he gets his whole uh -huh. section at Barnes and Noble there. Gets his own. Set like of honestly, shelves. a lot of it too is just an IP farm. Like they're hoping that Netflix will come or HBO right. will come or fucking Amazon will come and go. Oh, you have this book. We want to make a TV show about it. That's where the fucking money is. Right. It's not in their fucking stupid fucking pallets of paper. Right, you're selling idiots. rights or options, and that's where you get most of that money. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, this brings me to another thing where it's it's like, you know, I mean, is there a way out of this? Like, is there a way, or your theories on it, at least your thoughts? Like, you know, how do we get away from that and make books fucking cool again, or, or make you know? I think really it comes down to making books for the audience instead of trying to make the audience read the books because the audience has already shown that they don't really give a shit. Right. 
So you got to give them something that they will give a shit about. You know, it's like that. Um, I can't remember where I use this analogy, but it's like the the two shoe salesmen who get dropped in the jungle. Like um, they get dropped in the jungle and they start walking through the jungle and they finally come across a bunch of villagers and one villager or one salesman is like, oh, we got to get the fuck out of here, dude. And the other salesman's like, why? And he's like, because these motherfuckers don't wear shoes. Like none of them are wearing shoes. Like we can't fucking sell shoes here. They don't even know what the fuck shoes are. <laughs> so he starts leaving and the other guy doesn't go. And he's like, why aren't you coming? He's like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the best place to sell shoes. They don't wear shoes. Like all of these people are fucking barefoot. We could sell all of these people shoes. Yeah. So it's just this mindset, you know, right, it's like yeah. if the readers or if the audience that's out there aren't reading anything at all, but they are reading posts on TikTok, they're reading shit on Twitter, they're reading shit on fucking Facebook, they're getting emails. If that's what they're doing, what about that is how you can fucking take something and go to there, meet them where they are. You know, it's like that, um, that diagram um i can't remember what it is it's like there's three circles it's like the whole market the um approximate market and then the actual market for anything you're selling you know like the whole market would be everyone in the world and then the inner circle would be people who could like this if they were introduced to it. And then in the very bottom, the little tiny circle is the people who already like this stuff and want it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like <clears throat> the book industry is trying to make that little tiny circle, the biggest circle on the fucking thing. And just like logistically, it does not make sense. So I don't know, but the, the idea that they can't, I mean, dude, like I was doing the Kindle gold rush and all that shit. And back then it took, it took a couple years before the big publishers started embracing eBooks and we had already been putting them out for years, right. you know? And like when they first came out with them, they like priced them at the exact same price as a paperback, which kind of defeated the whole fucking object of what right. you were trying to fucking do. Um, now I think the, the vision on that's a little bit different, but um, like, I remember everyone thinking that the publishing industry was going to die because they weren't jumping on eBooks. And the majority of the reason why it took them so long to get in there is because like the big five was arguing about what right. percentage right. Amazon was going to give them. And that, that whole thing was fucking crazy. And then there was that whole like thing with Hachette and Macmillan or, I don't know. There was some fucking thing. And then like Hachette took all their books off of Amazon and it was like this big fucking like, <gasps> like what's going to happen? Either Amazon's right. going to go under and it's like Amazon's not going to fucking go under. dude. Right. Like yeah. give me a fucking break. But it's just like every five years or something like there's going to be some fucking thing that the publishing industry like seems that they're totally against, but everything else is going towards it. And then they're going to go, oh shit. Yeah, we do need to be a part of this. And that's, that's one thing that really irritates me is because I know for a fact, you know, I've worked in marketing, I've written, you know, my right out of college, I was most English majors, you work in marketing, because those are the only jobs. So you write ad copy, you know, email campaigns, funnels, mm -hmm. whatever it is, or you just write, you know, product copy for websites, whatever it is, you know, nowadays, it's link building where they want you to put basically ads into these fake articles and like people have people click on them. But it's yeah. like, you can advertise things into existence you can meme things yeah. into existence now too and i'm waiting for the publishing industry to see that and take because right now they're relying on people doing that for free they're relying on like yeah. book talk and shit like that for when somebody creates a meme or something and makes a viral post and that's their marketing and it's just like you could be engineering that like there are entire fields of marketing dedicated to engineering trends, engineering. Dude, like check like, this out. Like just to sell I'm books just, or tickets or whatever it is. I, you know? I just like, I just have this idea right now. And like if it, if it was this easy for me to come up with, like, why the fuck aren't they doing this? 
But like you know how like they're like they're back in the day there was the romance covers and like Fabio yeah. was on every fucking cover. Yeah, yeah. Get get fucking um I don't know like Lizzo and fucking um I don't know Ryan Reynolds. I'm trying to think of people who people think are hot or whatever, and then just have them do covers for like all the classics. Like oh you want Vanity Fair with Ryan Reynolds on the cover? Here you go. Oh you want fucking this book with so-and-so like looking romantic on the cover here you go and just start putting fucking celebrities on the covers as actors as the people in the fucking book and the fans of those actors will go out and buy those fucking books and maybe they'll read them like who fucking knows you know but just something along those fucking lines to get the stupid fucking masses in the goddamn fucking store. It's like, like, it's just like, why is this hard that? And I'm thinking like, you know, that documentary on Abercrombie and Fitch and shit that came out where it was like, they engineered a product. It wasn't different than what anybody else was doing. It was the same jeans and t-shirts and all that shit that every other fucking store was selling. But they made it, like, cool. They made it, like, oh, come to our store because it's, like, hotter and cooler than everybody else's. And, lo, it smells great. And look at this fucking music. You can't even hear anything. We're bumping it like a nightclub, you know? Like, this kind of, like, they made their shit through marketing alone because it wasn't the Mm -hmm. product itself that was, like, better or anything. They just made their shit cool through, like, straight-up marketing programs and, like, advertising, you know, hot people on billboards. Yeah, like, hot, nude people, like, not even wearing their clothes. They're just wearing, like, a pair of jeans. Yeah, like... Yeah, but that might be the problem because, like, of the whole, like, body-shaming thing. Like, having hot (laughs) models doing hot things is not cool. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that... Fucking loser culture. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking loser culture. Hot people aren't hot. A bunch of fucking virgins. Yeah, exactly, Yeah. yeah. Who are these no, fucking losers? It's, it's going to come back around. And then all of a sudden, yeah. like when you put a topless dude on some fucking ad somewhere, like that place is going to fucking explode because right. people haven't seen a fucking naked fucking body in forever. I, that's interesting. You I know? think that trend is coming to an end, the kind of uh, yeah. body. Po- and, you know, it's always well-intentioned, these trends. Like I understand, you know, people were feeling bad or whatever, yeah. but like, are we going to, you know, you can't make the whole world pretend that hot people aren't hot. You know, like you can't, you can't just like change everybody's psychology to all of a sudden. Like, Dude, seriously, yeah. like I knew things were starting to get better when I saw people wearing low rise jeans. Oh, the low and, like, rise. I'm, I'm not trying to fucking be weird, but like you go to the fucking mall and you would go into like a real fucking store and they would have a section and it's like mom jeans. And it's like, are you fucking like the high waisted? Yeah. You have mom jeans? Like, what the fuck is that? And like the clothes. And like, I think a lot of it too had to do with Billie Eilish not wanting to be sexualized. Right. And wearing like ridiculously baggy shit. And then all these like young hot chicks started wearing fucking potato sacks. Right. Because they didn't, because they wanted to look like Billie Eilish, you know? But now Billie Eilish is like, hey, I'm an adult now and here's my fucking pussy. Right. And so now, like, everyone's like, oh, shit. Like, Hey, would you believe there's still an extra hour of conversation left? Well, there is. Matt and I chatted for hours while recording this. And if you want to hear the full, uncensored episode, you need to subscribe at patreon.com slash heavyboard, where you will receive full, uncensored episodes like this without any interruptions, ads, or anything else. And that's for subscribers only at patreon.com slash heavy board. So what are you waiting for? Stop sitting on the sidelines. Subscribe today and join the conversation. I appreciate it, dude. Uh, Matt, where can people find you? Where can you uh, drop your handles and all that? Find your, uh, okay. Um, yeah. If you go to, I hate mattwall.com, that'll take you everywhere you need to go. Um, my YouTube is, um, at Matt wall and you could join the anarchy crew and do all that shit there. Uh, Instagram is at, I hate Matt wall and you can also follow at poetic anarchy press. There as well. Nice. Nice. Follow Matt Wall, follow Heavy Board. Uh, this has been another episode of Heavy Board Presents Jerk Shop. Matt, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, man. For real.
Sweats and the day sweats, pal. Pal, I do. 